0: Welcome to the Wild Podcast, your weekly dose of eco education. And welcome back to another episode of the Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Roxy Rogan, and founder of Wild Education. And today, our special guest on the show is Kelly Reardon. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today.
1: Hi Roxy, thank you so much for having me, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: No worries, Um, so why don't you just introduce uh, yourself to our audience, so why don't you just tell us who you are, what do you do and where you're from?
1: Sure, so my name is Kelly Reardon, I'm currently an environmental science field instructor with the company called Virta Education, it's a study abroad organization um, for American students studying abroad. Mm And I'm originally from Maine in the United States, but I haven't actually lived there for a while. I'm kind of a nomad traveling all over the place, so right now I'm in Oregon.
0: Perfect. Yeah, I was um, mentioning to you before we started that I've seen that you've been to Australia a few times, and it looks beautiful, the photos that you've taken from here, but yeah, so you're a bit of a nomad. I love that.
1: Thanks. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So um, why don't you tell us how you got into the conservation field? I know a lot of questions I get personally um, coming through to Wild Education is how do I get into, you know, being a conservationist? What kind of ways are there? And I know there are a huge amount of different ways. So how did you get into the field and what inspired you to start being a conservationist?
1: Yeah, I think it's always been a passion of mine to spend time like in nature, and I've always felt a connection with animals um, from a young age. But um, yeah, I grew up in a pretty normal household, so I just played outside a lot, and then that eventually led to like taking AP Environmental Science in high school and joining the environmental club, and then it all like snowballed into Environmental Science as my undergraduate major. Um, and then as for conservation, that came into play like more in focus, I would say, in my master's program, mm. um, so I was feeling a little lost after undergrad, like environmental science is so broad, yes. um, so it was difficult to like find a focus, but then I was reaching out to different grad school programs, and I was lucky to find my advisor, who's a conservation biologist, mm. um, and I just fell in love with the work that she was doing, and I knew I wanted to be a part of it, so... I feel really grateful to have had that chance.
0: Oh, that's so good. And it's good probably um, for people listening to know that you also um, understand that, you know, um, environmental science is a (laughs) broad degree to have and just try and really figure out what you want from that um, can be a bit tricky. So why don't you tell us about your master's in environmental policy and um, what, so I know like what really drew you to that and maybe even talk about what that, what that is.
1: Sure. Yes. Yeah. So environmental policy, I guess I was drawn towards that because I had done a lot with science as my undergrad. And then I actually did like a service program for a couple of years that was very science focused, like collecting data. Um, and I felt like it wasn't, While it was really important. And I loved it. I didn't feel like it was really making a difference. And I. this was around the time when actually the year that Trump got elected. So um, not to get too political, but <laughs> I, was okay. <laughs> I was realizing that scientists were kind of shouting like at the top of their lungs and it didn't really matter if yeah. the policies were in place. So yeah. Um, yeah, that kind of was inspiring for me to go for the policy degree.
0: Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. So when um, I was reaching out to you and, and saw that you were um, – you had a degree in environmental policy I was really intrigued because some of my questions I would like to ask you is um who has we'll just talk about um I guess where you are in America for now um who has the influence over environmental policies in America so who who kind of calls the shots on what goes ahead and what doesn't and how do you go about changing these kinds of things
1: yeah I think at the end of the day, it's usually govern the government, um, and it depends like if it's a federal policy or a state policy or a local policy. But um, there's always a lot of stakeholders involved, including like citizens, like us, um, or I guess also like scientists, um, as well as organizations, nonprofits. But also, there's companies like oil and gas companies that have a lot of power in the states. So. There's a lot of different stakeholders that are involved, but at the end of the day, I guess the government is typically the one setting the policies. Mm. In
0: the Interesting. Yeah. And and what are some things that you've come across in your work that um, are difficult to try and get these certain environmental policies um, approved? What are some kind of um, barriers that are put forward um, for you when you're trying to get these things approved?
1: Yeah, um, so I actually haven't worked, like, I'm not, like, making my own policy, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be really cool, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe one day. Um, yeah, one day, for sure. But, um, yeah, I'm not really interested, actually, in working for the government right now. I think um, while they hold a lot of power, it can be frustrating because, for instance, if you're in the state government, mm-hmm. even if your, like, state government is quite... Um, like, for environmental policies, if the federal government isn't, then you may be restricted, like, from the top down. Mm -hmm. And so you still won't be able to kind of implement what you want to to implement. Mm -hmm. So um, I think, like, working kind of from the side and working with, like, a nonprofit or, um, yeah, Yeah, just doing, like, like a a a campaign to try to make make something a social social norm, like, for instance, with the the plastic plastic straw ban, I think that's, like, like, a a perfect perfect example of something that like everyday people like kind of took on and created this momentum that led to like banning plastic straws just because it became like a social norm yeah so that's really powerful too
0: yeah this is what I was um gonna ask next is you know how can just general members of the public get involved and um with making environmental policies um stick with the government and making it Um, something that is just a norm so um, great example of the plastic straws what else can um, people who are listening like might feel a bit helpless like how am I supposed to make this huge change happen can you maybe talk a little bit about that
1: yeah of course yeah I think there's so many ways to feel overwhelmed right now especially with the pandemic Mm -hmm. Um, especially like a lot of the students I teach ask the same question like I'm feeling so overwhelmed and it's almost there's this new term called like eco-anxiety yeah, where so. yeah like people feel so stressed because yeah you can't do everything you can't be perfect and it's really a society that's like putting all of these pressures and like kind of we're, we're only we're restricted in a certain way right like we can't be perfect like if we want to live in a house like we have to use energy and all of these other things um but I think like realizing that first and foremost and like not holding yourself to like a high standard of perfection um, because it's not sustainable. And then going from there and seeing what you can do in your own life. So that may look different from person to person, but um, I think like whether it's thrifting or, you know, just using less waste or buying local or eating a little bit less meat, um, and educating yourself and sharing info with others. And I think with that piece, like with the sharing the information, I think it's really important, especially in the United States, but also in other parts of the world to be a bridge and not be, well, it's important to be passionate and you should speak to what you think is right. You should not, um, come from a place of hate or a place of like naming and shaming, basically. Um, I don't think at least that that's very effective. And I think my country is a great example of how that's not effective.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm, there's, there's many countries that are like that for sure. But I think that's, um, it's funny you were talking about, um, you know, not making sure that we know that we don't have to be perfect. I spoke to, about this um, just a few days ago on my Instagram actually about, about this, because I find that it comes up a lot um, that people especially in the conservation field it it, I think people forget it is like any other business field it can be extremely competitive um that yeah we don't have to be perfect because yeah I've spoken about it before as well eco-anxiety is such a real thing and you can feel completely overwhelmed so um I'd be interested to know what are some things you do personally when you're feeling really overwhelmed um about the state of the planet is there certain things that you do um to center yourself and kind of feel okay to keep going
1: yeah totally um I'm actually a yoga and meditation teacher so that's kind of my thing I know it's not everyone's some people like to cook or paint or draw or exercise um but I really find that meditation and yoga are really centering and grounding for me so mm. yeah I enjoy that yeah definitely. how about you
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I find um, similar things as well. I think a lot of people do. And I I also really recommend when people are feeling very overwhelmed to really reconnect back to nature is my biggest thing I kind of um, say to people to do. Uh, Yeah. Especially um, during this pandemic, it's been quite a topic of conversation. People in general feeling quite overwhelmed. Um, But I think in terms of, you know, environmental policies as well, it's good to remember the long-term goals of what we want to achieve. So, um, yeah, that's it's super important. So I'd also like to touch on um, what are your views on when it comes to, I know I mentioned it to you, New Zealand, for instance, has given um, rivers, some rivers, the same rights as humans to protect them further. Um, and this has actually, from my research, been quite effective. What, um, from your um, background, do you think that this is a good way of um, protecting our environment in a different way? Um, Yeah, what are your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's It's really admirable. admirable. I don't think that um, most other countries are really in a place to start doing that. Um, But I do think, yeah, I I think think I find it very admirable 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 of New Zealand and I think... um, that we're in, we're going in that direction, hopefully, um, it might take, like, for instance, the U.S. a while to get there, but, um, I think, like, honoring Indigenous knowledge and Indigenous, um, priorities is really important, um, and, yeah, props to New Zealand for doing that, So Yeah, big deal.
0: definitely, I definitely think that, um, yeah, maybe it's a bit of a um, a longer term goal for some countries for sure. But I think that um, it's, it's really important to see the environment as something that does need that level of protection, which is why I do really I'm interested in the environmental policy because it is giving like extra credit to these things like, no, no, we have to change our way of thinking. Um, so what are some things that you you talk to your students about um, in terms of learning about all this new environmental policy and how to, how to navigate their way through learning these new things? What are some kind of things that you would be telling your students that you might tell our audience as well?
1: It's a good question. Um, I think, I don't know, my class is like an intro to environmental science. So it's quite broad and we touch on a lot of different things, but I guess, Kind of like what I was saying earlier, like focusing on what interests you and Mm. what makes you feel good to focus on, I guess. Mm. Um, So yeah, even myself, I've experienced kind of like, I guess you could call it burnout in the past, like from being an undergrad and like, especially on like a college campus, you get so involved in all these like initiatives to like reduce the waste on campus or like divest from... Fossil fuels, which is when the money takes out their investments out of fossil fuel industries, which is really difficult. But all these different areas. um, And I think, yeah, like after a while, it's just like, these are really challenging things, like I said, that you cannot be perfect in. Um, So it can just feel like, oh, I'm just going to give up and like not do anything because it doesn't matter. Um, But I think it's important to just like keep going and finding like leaders that you really – relate or look up to like um whether that's like Greta um the climate change activist or whether it's like one of my personal um icons is Wangari Maathai from Kenya she's an environmental policy activist there uh so yeah finding like a person that can inspire you I guess is, is pretty important <laughs>
0: yeah that, that's really good advice because I think burnout is for sure a real thing in in most businesses, but in the environmental one, it can come about really quickly. I find, um, I also usually suggest to people to have a bit of a, um, social media detox, um, to help with reducing the burnout because I find, um, a lot of the time if you're on social media all the time and you do like a huge amount of conservation pages, they're going to have some really inspiring things, but they also might have some quite graphic or disturbing things as well that you look at on a daily basis. Um, Also, you know, like listening to or reading things that are inspirational to keep you kind of motivated to keep going, um, yeah, it's so important. I love the term that I saw on your Instagram the other day of a conscious conservationist. Can you talk us through what that means to you and um, a little bit about how you came across this term and and what it might mean to people listening?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think I originally came across the actual term from – There's, like, a woman on Instagram with the Instagram handle, Conscious Conservationist, and she was inspired by Dr. Haley Adams' book, Conscious Conservation, Um, and it's basically, like, aligned with all of the ideas that I had kind of been thinking, and so when I found this book, I was like, oh, this is, like, incredible. There are other people that are thinking the same way. Um, But, yeah, to me, that basically means, I guess, like, coming from a place of, compassion and also like taking care of yourself first before you can take care of not only other people but also the planet mm. um and so i kind of mentioned this earlier like about being a bridge and not coming from a place of hate but i think um like in conservation we use a lot of terms like I, like the fight against climate change and yeah. even the term like eco warrior yeah, and a, i'm
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah and i'm not saying like I I definitely have like said those before and like supported groups that use those terms. But I think that we should like start steering away from them because it's like this not victim mentality, but like this sort of like violent mentality, I guess that we're that's like subconscious. Like I don't think we meant to really have that there, but I don't think it's helping because we need to heal, not um, like further destroy the planet. Right. So we shouldn't be, in a war we should be in a peacemaking process mm. so I think by changing our language around that we could all benefit and also maybe that would help with the whole burnout
0: thing too yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. yeah no that's a really good point that's um it's really interesting to look at it in, from a, a different point of view um yeah, I remember reading something yesterday, I think it was, saying that we should talk about things being we want to regenerate what we're doing rather than um, keeping things being sustainable because things aren't sustainable at the moment. We want to regenerate what's um, you know what's happening here. Um, yeah, so the power of words is um, incredibly important, I think, uh, for our mental health going through this as conservationists, but also um, I guess as the outside world looking at what, uh, we're trying to achieve in a more positive way, rather than, as you say, in like a um, a more kind of battle mentality, almost like what you're saying, like the war and the warrior and all that. That's very like hardy and like we're going to battle and very um, strong, strong use of words. No, that's really interesting. Um, I, I, do you have any projects that you're working on at the moment, whilst in um. isolation? <laughs>
1: yeah I am I'm still wrapping up my master's project actually so um again like I find myself using this language all the time like it's around human wildlife conflict but I should Mm -hmm. probably be saying coexistence um but I still Mm -hmm. use conflict but anyways um yeah so I'm looking at basically most of my master's degree was actually at um a campus in China Mm -hmm. so yeah, so we are looking at uh, the livestock grazing and panda conflicts, and then we're also looking at um, conflicts between livestock grazing and tiger reserves in India. And, um, yeah, they're not really comparison because obviously panda and tiger are quite different, but we are kind of, uh, I guess, like gently comparing and contrasting them or using them as case studies at least to look at flagship species, conservation yeah. surrounding wildlife, Um sorry livestock conflicts and protected areas Mm -hmm. so
0: yeah wow that's super interesting did you ever see any pandas when you were doing your research unfortunately
1: Unfortunately. not (laughs) i wish we found a lot of their poo um my, (laughs) my advisor um dr binbin lee she has only seen a panda once and it was on her first time in the field and she's been studying them for like I think like around 10 years now so it's really hard to find in the field wow. yeah why
0: why are is so hard to find is this because there's not a lot of them or do they are they really good at hiding
1: <laughs> I think they're really good at hiding it's also very dense habitat like a very dense bamboo forest and they can totally like hear or smell us before we could even know that they were there so um yeah they're pretty tricky to spot but Oh, I wish. Maybe someday. They're so cute. <laughs>
0: yeah, maybe someday. Oh, that's so incredible. I've I've never actually uh, met someone who's studied pandas before, so that's really cool. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, well, listen, Kelly, we'll wrap it up now, but how can people connect with you online? Because I'm sure a lot of people listening would love to hear more about you.
1: Yeah, I would love to connect with um, you all on Instagram so you can find me at kelly.reardon and my name is K-E-L-L-E-Y dot R-E-A-R-D-O-N.
0: Perfect. Okay. Well, thanks so much to Kelly coming on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Roxy. Thanks. I appreciate you having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to our channel and follow us on Instagram, wild underscore education. Thanks again and talk soon.